When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to the Silver Fortune podcast. I want to start off uh, first off with with just thanking every one of you for tuning into to my podcast today, um, especially those of you that have have been along for the ride for for a long time now. Very much appreciate that. Um, haven't put out a podcast in a little over a week now, so so it's it's good to be back. Um, got some things in the works. Hopefully, an, an interview will be up uh, later this week, um, Friday, hopefully, as well as uh, a new series that I'll be working on in the coming weeks and months. Um, that, that's going to be, uh, well, it's going to be a lot of work. And so, so certainly stay tuned for that. I think you'll really enjoy the quality of it, um, when it ultimately comes back. And for those of you that aren't subscribed, um, be sure to hit that subscribe button, whether you're in YouTube or, or on one of the many podcast platforms that my, my podcast can be found, um, hit that subscribe button so you can stay tuned for, for all of that in the future. So getting to today's, uh, podcast, the topic of today's podcast, uh, we're, we're going to start off here talking about silver. Now I, I want to start off by saying, you know, the entirety of today's Today's podcast is not going to be entirely focused on um, the silver price. Uh, I want to start off with that, but I want to segue into a couple other things, one of which is going to be um, silver related, but then some other things on broader economy and, and inflation and whatnot. Um, but but I want to start off with price of silver. Um, sitting as I speak right now on, on a Wednesday, uh, November 17th, the afternoon of Wednesday, November 17th, uh, sitting around $25 an ounce. And I want to sort of put this in perspective first off, uh, before we kind of get into to where I kind of see silver heading into the end of the year and into um, early 2022. Uh, silver has, you know, by all accounts in the last month, two months, roughly, um, has made a very, you know, good recovery from you know, kind of the end of, of September, beginning of October, when it was, you know, kind of breaking down. I, I made a, a podcast back then where I, you know, Basically said, you know, if it if it keeps you know if it keeps drops keeps dropping a little more from from where it was at that point in time, you know, I, I wouldn't rule out twenty dollars an ounce um, as as kind of being the main support level at that point. Fortunately, we didn't make it that low, um, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, for those of you that are that are still buying into this market, you know, twenty dollars silver have been pretty pretty sweet. Although, of course, you know, the caveat with that is that premiums are far higher than they were. Um, you know, for those many years that, that silver was, you know, sub $20 an ounce. Um, but here we are, um, middle of November, you know, roughly what month and a half later and silver sitting around $25 an ounce. Pretty, pretty sweet recovery. However, if you put it in, in perspective, we're, we're still a long ways off from, you know, the nearly $30, uh, an ounce silver that we had, um, earlier this year. And, you know, some, some have kind of wondered, you know, are we, are we kind of, is, is this just a, a bear market rally or whatever you want to call it? The last month and a half, is this just, um, just a, a small upward trend inside of a larger trend, uh, to the downside? Um, of course, my, my thoughts on that are no. I, I think that silver is going to continue to head up. Um, I think it's important to, again, Put, put this in perspective and say, you know, a month and a half ago, we were talking 2150 silver, roughly. Um, and here we are at 25. We're not at 30 yet. We're not at 28, 29, um, but, but it's coming. So uh, 
I'll start off with where I see things going between now and the end of the year. I think silver in the next, let's say, a couple of weeks, kind of middle of December, Christmas time, maybe around that. I wouldn't be surprised if, if silver and, and gold both, you know, encounter some difficulty. Um, if we see silver, you know, back around 24, 23 range, you know, um, and, and silver, you know, back around 1800, I wouldn't be surprised to see that weakness uh, whatsoever. Um, as we head into the very end of the year and, and the new year, first couple months of 2022, I, I think this, this uptrend is going to resume. I think by March of, of 2022, I think we'd already be knocking on the door of, of $30 silver, if not already past it. And, uh, and, and as we get further into 2022, um, I, I think, you know, further moves up are, are very likely. No, that, that's my outlook. Um, 30, it's, it's so hard to put, you know, once you go a couple months past that, I'm just not, you know, I don't have the technical analysis aptitude that some people do, uh, nor do I think it's, it's useful to, to talk in, in very certain terms like that. Um, maybe probabilities are, are better. To, to talk in, and I would say that there's a high probability by mid 2022 that we're well above $30 an ounce silver, and and I'll leave it at that. Uh, well above could mean 35, it could mean 55. It's it, you know there's so many different variables to take into account here uh, in terms of the, the the speed in which I think this this bull market is going to travel at. Um, the the main thing to keep in mind though is that you know with with a lot of these types of bull markets and and what we're going to see play out in silver, I think is is that. The, the vast majority of the gains and, and the move to the upside is going to happen in a, in a small, small minority of, of the time. Now, wh- why do I have this outlook for silver heading into the end of the year and, and the new year? Um, first off, we'll start off with seasonality. Um, beginning of, of the new, you know, first couple of months tend to be a pretty strong seasonal, you know, time of year for the price of silver. Um, and, and so I think that's going to continue to be a tailwind for silver and gold heading into to, you know, the first couple months. And, and, you know, in terms of seasonality, sometimes we tend to see, you know, November, uh, you know, usually before Christmas time, around Christmas time, we tend to see silver, you know, encounter some weakness. There's been a couple of years in the past 10 years, you know, where silver has basically found its bottom around that time of year. I don't think we're going to be back around 2150 or $21 an ounce a month from now, but I would be surprised to see some weakness nonetheless. Um, I think the other big thing to keep in mind here is is kind of economic fundamentals. I think that's really the big thing that's holding back silver and gold um, more so than um, why why they're being held out back more than maybe some other commodities, right? Whether it's energy prices or a lot of other metals, um, grains. Uh, in the, across the board, a lot of commodities have done very well in uh, 2021 and 2020. And silver and gold are not necessarily on that list, right? Not, at least not to the extent that maybe some of us would have expected. Um, and, and I think some of that can be attributed to kind of this narrative be, because they are such, you know, monetary metals, because that's such a big part of, of their demand and a big part of the markets and, and, and why they are or aren't in some people's portfolios because of, of economic and monetary considerations. Um, more so than, than a lot of other commodities. And, and I think it, it's going to take some time in the coming months for that narrative and the outlook on the economy and monetary policy to change. And that's really what I'm, I'm waiting for, um, for the, for the, you know, big move up in, in silver and, and gold is, is going to be on the basis of economic and, and monetary policy, um, 
their narrative and the expectations around that changing. I, I think that the truth, the, you know, the facts, the data already support that move to the upside. It's simply that the narrative disagrees with the data currently. The, the mainstream narrative, of course, being that economic uh, recovery is is um, is nigh, or that that we're already in it. Um, to to a much greater extent than maybe we are. I mean, obviously the economy is stronger than it was in March 2020, but that's not a great benchmark. We're we're still a long ways off in terms of by a lot of measures from from where we should be. And and you know if there's any data showing that hey look at you know GDP is you know close to I, I haven't seen exactly what it is, but but you know if you look at any data showing that hey we're like back where we were at the beginning of 2020, well, I mean most of that's going to be because of huge amounts of fiscal stimulus and to some extent monetary stimulus, right? And, and so I think we really need to, to take that with a, a, a grain of salt. Um, there, so there's this whole narrative about the economy recovering. There's this narrative about inflation. Inflation's transitory. Inflation's not something to worry about. Inflation's a good thing. We'll kind of be covering all of those things later on in today's podcast. So stay tuned for that. I got a lot of thoughts on it, but, but that narrative can change pretty quickly. I think it, people uh, among, you know, the broader population, inflation's incredibly unpopular. High inflation is incredibly unpopular among the vast majority of Americans. You're going to have some people um, on the left, let's say, probably, uh, say that inflation, you know, is a good thing. And, and you know, the truth of the matter is it's maybe because, you know, who's in office or, or who, you know, controls Congress. Uh, it, it, truth, you know, I, I don't want to get deep into politics here, but, you know, when Trump was in office, um, you, you would have had people on the right saying the same thing if hypothetically we were experiencing the same level of inflation during the Trump presidency. Yeah, inflation can be a good thing, right? And, and at that point, you're talking like a central banker, like a central planner, like a, you know, a Keynesian, uh, and that's maybe doing a disservice to some extent to Keynesianism, you know. Um, the inflation that we are experiencing and, and will in the future is going to far exceed any, you know, reasonable economist's um, perspective in the past from, you know, 50, 100 years ago. I don't want to say any economists, but many, um, because they realized back then the dangers of inflation. And today, I think we have forgotten here in the United States. We haven't experienced high inflation since the 70s or early 80s. We've never experienced hyperinflation. Um, it's, it's just not something that we deal with. And I think there's a little bit of arrogance. There's a little bit of, um, um, bias towards, towards believing that we, you know, somehow are an exception to a lot of these. A lot of these, you know, rules of, of human nature and of economics that we've seen time and time again play out, right? I think MMT is a great example of, of this arrogance that, that somehow we can do things different. We can do things better this time around. We can, we can have all the benefits of, of debt monetization or, or, um, massive amounts of fiscal spending or monetary policy that's extremely loose without any of the downsides, right? That we can somehow tweak policy like taxes and whatnot to keep inflation in check. And that's just not, that's not realistic. Um, so anyways, long story short, there's this narrative behind silver uh, and gold that, that is essentially holding them back because the mainstream narrative is that the Fed's got this under control, inflation's coming down, they're tightening money, sorry, monetary policy and, and uh, heading into the end of the year and into to the new year. I, th- I think that narrative is going to change pretty quickly once people realize that, hey, inflation's still high. Um, and it has been for, you know, nine months or 12 months at that point. Um, there's going to be people saying, you know, look, the markets are doing poorly. Look what's happening in, let's say, the rate markets, interest rate markets or bond markets. Look, look what's happening in, in the stock market. You know, I, I would expect, I'd anticipate a pretty significant correction, um, maybe even hitting a bear market threshold, 20 plus percent drop. 
um, in the next, you know, handful of months. And, and I think that's going to force the Fed's hand. I, from the Fed's perspective, their hand's going to be forced that they're going to have to stop with their, their not really tightening, but, but their, you know, <laughs> their very loose monetary policy that they're slowly making slightly less loose by, by, you know, tapering their bond purchases. It's not going to make it nearly as far as it did a, even in the last dining cycle, um, which, which if, effectively ended in 2019 and, and it was followed by, you know, the easing cycle in, in 2020, um, it's going to be far, far briefer and, and to a less extent. I mean, I don't see the Fed raising rates and except, I, I usually add this caveat, except for reasons of very high inflation. I, they might then, but I mean, if inflation is consistently at 10% and they raise rates by half a percent, you know, they're, that's, that's not even behind the curve. That's, that's, you know, not even, that's not even in the same, you know, league is, is where the inflation is at that point. I mean, that's, you know, but, um, the, we could, we could see that happen. Um, but, but I'd be surprised if they, they stopped their QE altogether. Right. And, and I think something we have to be reminded of is that even if they were to, to stop their QE, finish their taper and stop their QE, they have to understand that, that the Fed balance sheet at, let's say $9 trillion, I don't know exactly what it'll, where it'll be in, you know, mid 2022 when they are planning to stop their taper. Um, let's say nine trillion that's going to be you know that's twice the balance sheet roughly speaking uh, twice the size of the balance sheet when they stopped the last tightening cycle or you know around four and a half trillion if my memory serves me correctly and and what we have to understand that that debt or the debt that they have bought treasury bonds mortgage-backed securities and, and some other stuff um that is a that represents a huge amount of support for the market for two reasons first of all when that debt expires or whenever they collect proceeds from that debt um, debt payments, whatever. I, I think, and don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure they give some of that profit to the treasury, but, but the, um, the principal or whatever you'd call it that they've collected, they roll that over and, and buy back more bonds and buy back more mortgage backed securities and whatnot. Um, and, and that's a huge amount of buying support. And, and second of all, I mean, they're just in, never mind just the buying as it rolls over, but, but they're keeping an, a huge amount of debt out of the economy. And out of those markets, it's a huge amount of support for the markets. So something to keep in mind. But I don't think they'll get to the end of this tightening cycle. And so as that changes, I think you know that's really going to, yeah. What's the what's the phrase? Open the the, the floodgates, I guess, for silver and gold. Right. Not unlike what we saw back in 2019, the summer of 2019, when when gold, especially, but to some extent silver, really began to take off and and, and break some key levels. Um, as people start to realize that, hey, like the Fed, they can't do this tightening. Look what's happening in the repo market here. Look what's happening in the stock market. They can't do this tightening cycle like they said that they could. And and I think we're going to have a very similar situation, but to a much greater extent. So that's my outlook for silver. I think, you know, supply and demand continue to be pretty strong as well for um continue to be pretty strong for the silver market. And I think obviously that's going to be a tailwind. And, and it remains to be seen. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see another wave of sort of the silver squeeze movement. Um, w- many of which have, have stuck around since it kind of started earlier this year, but I wouldn't be surprised to see many of those individuals really ramp up things, um, in, in 2022. You know, on that topic, I just wanted to quickly mention, uh, some of the, some of the mechanics that, that we're seeing play out right now in the uranium market, um, which have been really fascinating to watch and, and kind of participate in, uh, for a quick synopsis of basically what's been happening 
you know, there's been a lot of people that going back probably a couple of years have had a pretty bullish outlook on uranium, uranium prices and uranium miners on the basis of a, a huge supply shortfall that supply coming onto the market from mines fell, you know, drastically short or was, you know, it, it has been falling drastically short of, of demand, mostly from, from, you know, power producers from utilities and that, you know, as the excess supply on the market, stockpiles and whatnot gets used up, that, that eventually, you know, the price is going to go up because you know, the price had been low for so long, you know, investments into new mining, um, exploration, all of that was much, much lower than it would have been otherwise. And, and, you know, similar thing to what we've seen play out. in I think a lot of other commodities, metals, um, to some extent, silver and gold, uh, that's what basically happened in uranium. Now, now the game changer. So people had a pretty bullish outlook on it at that point, and and the the game changer was that you know earlier this year during the summer, Sprott, um, which many of you guys are familiar with, uh, owned by Eric Sprott, uh, entered uh, the uranium market in a pretty big way. They they essentially bought a a uranium uh, trust. Um, I, I think that would be the term for it. Um, where, where, you know, previously you could basically buy pounds of uranium, right? Um, this trust would basically purchase and store them for you. Uh, Sprott purchased that and then created their own, um, market vehicle, investing vehicle for uranium. Um, it's called the Sprott Uranium Trust. Basically how it works is they have a huge, you know, at the market financing, uh, um, option basically out there. Uh, of, uh, of a certain amount of dollars in this case, I think it's 1.5 billion. Um, and how it works is, is people go on the market, like a stock market and exchange. And they buy shares of, of the Sprott Uranium Trust and Sprott issues shares as, as more and people, more and more people pile into the market. And, uh, they, uh, they buy uranium with that money. And, and they stacked an incredible amount. I think it's 20 million pounds since, uh, since they took over the fund. So north of 20 million, 20 over 21 million pounds actually. And, and they have many, many more that they basically inherited when they purchased all the other trust. And so essentially what they've done is sped up the whole market, you know, moving towards these, this tighter supply and whatnot. That whole process that people had predicted was going to happen because, you know, mining was, was just not meeting demand and whatnot. Well, Asprat came in and purchased a huge portion of that extra, you know, uranium that was out there in the spot market, um, north of 21 million pounds. Um, they purchased that and they continue to purchase at a very fast pace. And, and long story short, the price of uranium has been moving upwards pretty significantly. Obviously, uranium equities have followed as well. It's been a great, it's been a great thing to be a part of and it's probably has a long ways to go. And of course, I want to relate this to silver. Now, silver and uranium, drastically different markets and I, I, apples to oranges. Apples to oranges, they got some similarities, right? They're both physical commodities, sprouts involved in both of them. Um, they both have a sort of an investment following, you know, all those things, but, but still very different. So I don't want to make it sound like they're exactly the same. What I do want to point out though is that, you know, sprout and, and the uranium market has shown they've kind of created a blueprint here for silver. And, and wow, that almost sounds like a podcast I've done in the past. It is. I'm talking about how it's basically a blueprint for the silver market. 
where, where you have somebody like Sprott, and that's what they have done with their, with their physical silver, um, trust operates in a very similar manner. Uh, they've come into the market and bought a huge amount of silver and, and taken that off the market altogether. Um, I think it, it's provided a blueprint. Now there's obviously huge differences. Uh, like I said, with uranium, there's, there was a lot of slack in the market. There's a lot of stockpiles, extra, you know, uh, uranium that had been mined probably back when prices were much higher or had been mined from mines that, that were started when prices were much higher and, and, you know, is stockpiled, especially after a lot of, you know, demand fell off, um, after the uh, 2011 Fukushima incident. Um, well, well, silver has a lot of slack too. And, and, you know, the difference is that, well, uranium gets used up and, um, and it really has only one end use. And, and if once a utility buys it, they're not generally going to sell a large amount of that into, if any of that into the market, they're going to hold on to it until they, you know, use it essentially for, for energy production. And, and silver is a little different. A lot of silver does get used up 40, 50%. And a lot of that doesn't get recycled. Some of it does, but a lot of it doesn't. It is, um, tossed in a landfill or it is, uh, you know, lives out its life or many years or decades in some sort of a durable good or non-durable good, um, computer, uh, a car, an electric car, a house, a building, you know, never to really re- be recovered or maybe recovered 20 years in the future to some extent, right? And so, so there are some similarities, but there's a lot of slack in the physical investment market for silver. A lot, a lot of silver out there. Now, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to rain in anybody's parade and I'm not saying that it's as plentiful as some people say it is. I'm not saying like, Oh yeah, you know, we got 10 billion ounces of silver out there. And so, no, it's probably much, much less than that. Um, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I've done some of these calculations in the past, but probably much less than that, but there's, there's slack out there, right? I, I don't want to make it seem like there's not, um, at times we've certainly seen tightness in the silver market, the physical silver market. I think we continue to see some tightness, but I think we will need to kind of continue to see that that coordinated and sustained buying in the physical silver market on the investment side without any selling um, or a sizable selling as the price goes up. If we want to see this, this, you know, blueprint for silver kind of play out in a similar way in the silver market. Right. But but of course, you know, the difference is, you know, in uranium, the reason people are holding on to these uranium shares, you know, physical uranium shares or or the the equities is that there's an expectation that well i mean gosh unless something crazy happens like like another nuclear accident and a bunch of countries turn off their power plants the price is going up because the supply is just not there it's just it's just sort of a waiting game at this point um and you can add that to an even greater extent with the silver market if you have the tailwind of high inflation a failing you know dollar or, or fiat currencies um and, and a lack of of trust in in central authorities and, and central planners and, and central banks right you know that to an even greater extent and, and people are going to hold on to it because hey you know sure, sure uranium looks like hey this is an asymmetric not a sure thing but an asymmetric investment but but you know if, if we're talking about sure things in the you know in the investment space gosh i can't think of anything that's more of a a sure thing than than uh that the dollar and fiat currencies are going to be inflated away. And so why wouldn't you bet away, uh, you know, bet against that, uh, bet against the dollar and fiat currencies, especially if, if it's at a fast pace and then you don't have to worry about as much things like 
opportunity cost and whatnot. So, you know, I was going to talk more about inflation and some other topics here today, but, you know, I'm hitting close to 24 minutes almost already. So I'll cut it short today and, and maybe we'll, we'll follow up on that, you know, later this week or, or probably next week. You know, I just want to leave you with this. I appreciate once again, every one of you for tuning in to, to my podcast on a regular basis. Begin a lot of support lately, especially on the podcasts platforms, you know, Apple and, and Google Podcasts and Spotify and whatnot. Really appreciate that. I'll remind you once again, there's a link down below in the description to the uh, the book that I recently published, Zero Sum, uh, book one of the Civil Strife series. It's a post-apocalyptic, uh, economic, political, societal collapse uh, type of book. Um, and, and, and already past halfway in, in the first draft of, of book two. So, so, uh, it's something that I'm, I'm far from finished with. And I'd love to have each and every one of you to, to, you know, to, to read along, kind of follow along in that story. And, and I think, uh, I think you guys will like it a lot. So there's a link down below in the description if you want to check that out as well. As always, though, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast and God bless.